Well, welcome to Grace and Peace Church. We are excited to continue our journey as we study in the book of James. And uh, we hope that you feel welcome and that um, our time together and studying uh, helps you in your journey with Christ and that it begins to transform uh, this walk with Jesus, not into something mundane, something as life as usual, but that it's something that begins to uh, really take root and bring life to the full. That's our that's our mission. That's our goal. And so um, we're gonna continue here in uh, this next chapter here in James. We're reading through this letter, and uh, we're gonna be in chapter one, verses nine through twelve. If you need any information about who we are and what we're up to, uh, there's information in the description below or in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast, or go to our website, graceofpeacechurch.org. And you can track with us and begin to connect beyond just what we're doing here. So, um, last week we uh, we spoke about these first few verses where James says, "Consider it pure joy when you face trials," and that can be a challenging passage to face. Okay. Um, James is writing to believers who are scattered, who are facing all kinds of trials when it comes to uh, poverty, when it comes to persecution. And uh, last week we just saw how a person who encounters these trials um, that desires to learn and grow from God will become mature. And why is maturity important? I'm glad you asked that. Maturity in the process of being a disciple, the process of being a believer, um, has two consequences, two beautiful things that we push towards. The maturity results in a life that's transformed, that then we experience the fruit of what it's like to follow Christ. We can live into the concepts, we can say that Jesus is life-giving, but until we live into it, we don't experiencing it. We don't experiencing it. We don't experience it to the full. The second part of that truth of what happens when maturity takes root in our lives as disciples is that then people will begin to see the life that's transformed. We begin to we we begin man. What's going on? Uh, we begin to be a witness, a living, breathing, flesh and blood, blood tangible example of who Jesus is in this world to others that are suffering, that are struggling, and begin to see a clear picture, a clearer picture of what it's like to be a disciple and, um, and how beautiful that can be. Why that's important? Things like what happened recently in Capitol Hill where in the name of Jesus, people are causing damage, um, hurting other people, saying things about other human beings that just don't line up with what Jesus says and what he calls us to do. Um, that sort of thing wouldn't take place if you're progressively moving towards becoming more like Christ, maturing in Christ, becoming whole, becoming healed of the brokenness, healed of the, the damaging parts of our lives that just begin to either um, bring hatred or bring division. Um, the parts of our lives that begin to bring healing are centered in Jesus. And so that's why this whole thing of maturity is so important. If you want to go back and listen to last week, I would encourage you to do it. It's, it's
it's one of those things that I, it's challenging, but I love it because I begin to experience the fullness of Christ and begin to live into that. So encourage you to dig into uh, becoming more mature as believers, and then we get to be that example of the fruit of the Spirit that uh, Paul talks about in Galatians 5.22. If you want to go read that one, he talks about living in the Holy Spirit and experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. There's a whole list. Uh, my kids come home singing it sometimes. I love it. But um, it's just one of those things that just really, once it takes root, good things Beautiful things take place. So this week we're going to be in uh, chapter one, verses nine through twelve. So let's dig in. If you have the Uversion app, go ahead and open that. If you uh, want to just have a tangible copy um, and dig into that, it's great to be able to highlight. Notes are on our website if you want to go and check those out. Links to anything that we talk about also available there, as well as lyrics for worship. Um, just so that you know, we're going to continue to post those on our website and be available. So, verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So we see this, this poetic illustration or picture of poor and rich, and then this illustration of the the rich and the, the material possessions being something like a flower that fades away. And this isn't a new concept. We see this in Ecclesiastes where the writer talks about our lives being like a vapor, a mist that's sprayed. If you use a spray bottle, you see the mist go into the air and then it just fades and it ends up gone. And he references life being very, very short, very temporary at best. And James here references finances being the same thing in the same place where it can fade pretty quick. It can come and go. And again, recognizes here kind of the same message that Jesus brings, which we'll talk about here in a minute, um, that echoes the idea of the poor um, being in humble positions, being, um, being almost like in a, in a high position as a result of their lack of. Um, it's kind of a, a throwback to the Beatitudes where Jesus is blessed are the poor. And, um, and so we're going to look at kind of this idea of finances, uh, poverty, and begin to see what, um, what is James drawing us to when he talks about trials when it comes to finances, not having enough or having a lot. And, um, and I think in order to unpack this, we have to look at two terms. And the first one is going to be poverty. Poverty, in its definition, a lot of times in our minds, is centered around the lack of material wealth. The lack of money, the lack of housing, the lack of clothing. Um, but what I want to do is reshape our understanding of poverty. This is the first term, and we're going to look at this term, blessed. But this idea of poverty, I think, is more about relationship. It's not so much about material goods as it is about relationship. And here's why. Generally defined, like I said, 
Poverty looks at material possessions. But when you ask somebody who's struggling in the midst of poverty, if you ask them the materially um, lacking, ask them what like their response is in the middle of that, the overwhelming response is centered around phrases like this. I feel shame for not being able to provide for myself or my kids. So shame is one of them. I feel powerless or inadequate, not good enough because I'm not able to provide. I don't have the skills, abilities, or the, uh, the resources needed to thrive according to what everybody else has told me. I feel less than human. Uh, people say phrases like, I feel a lack of self-worth because I don't have X, Y, Z. So what I see here, and if you want to read more on this, uh, I'll drop a link in the uh, description, uh, um, show notes, um, is this, this book that talks about, um, it's called uh, When Helping Hurts. And what it does is begin to describe the, this, our understanding of poverty is so centered on material wealth when in, the, in all actuality it's more about identity. And what you see here when you talk to people who are actually in poverty is a sense of identity just being crushed and identity being wrapped up in these things often. And what ultimately brings wholeness, brings this, this maturity, this completion in our lives, in our relationship, is right relationships. So right relationship with God, right relationship with ourselves, right relationship with others and how we interact and view them and how we view them viewing us, if that makes sense. Um, the, the perceptions we believe that other people have of us, whether we care about it or not, um, that begins to have a healthy understanding of who we are and who we are in relationship to others. And then our relationship to creation, so that would be our work and how we uh, earn money, how we use our skills, our abilities, um, the gifts that God's given us to then be a blessing in the world, um, to use resources in a way that is good, that is life-giving, um, and not exploiting the creation. So when those relationships are in order, there becomes this wholeness. And, and I know leaders who, um, who are friends of ours in Haiti, Haiti being the poorest country um, in the Western Hemisphere, um, I know leaders who are there who have very, very, very little, who according to our standards would be below poverty, way below poverty, and yet they experience wholeness because these parts of their life, these relationships, are in order. They experience this peace, they experience this shalom. So the next word I wanna unpack, because poverty needs, that's, that's shifting our perspective on this um, and helps us understand this passage a little better. The next one is blessed. Blessed can have this definition in our minds tied to, again, material wealth. Blessing being that if I'm blessed, I have stuff, right? That a lot of times when we say, oh man, I got this amazing car or house, whatever, I'm so blessed, or I have these things and I'm so blessed. And, um, and a lot of times that correlation becomes uh, this connection of God giving things and then that being a blessing. But what we see in scripture is not necessarily material blessing. What we see here in scripture is the definition of blessed being uh, 
in the Greek, it's makarios, and it means to be happy or blissful. But it also has this connotation of self-contained happiness. So a sense in our soul and our identity and who we are, a self-contained happiness. And when we live life connected to God, we live in the reality that he is our provider, that we will be okay independent of our circumstances. And that's where we begin to experience this self-contained happiness, this contentment that we talk about as believers, that you'll see in Christians where regardless of circumstance, there's a contentment that exists that we can see that I see when I go to Haiti and I see leaders who are content with very little. And I see leaders here in the United States or around the world that are, that have a lot and yet are content and use those resources for good and not for selfish gain or evil and use it to be a blessing to the community, a blessing towards others. Um, this concept we see lived out throughout scripture. We see Paul talking about it in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I love looking at Paul's life because he exemplifies and he writes about his journey in that struggle and that tension of having a lot materially and having little materially, yet still centering around Jesus, still abiding, drawing close in his heart and his, and his soul. Everything about him is just like, I'm centered around Jesus and he is the sole provider for life. And I love that passage. Uh, that's a beautiful reminder of being okay, independent of our circumstances. And that's what God does. That's what he promises um, in our relationship with him. And that he teaches us ways to live into that. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, he, Paul also says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Again, this goes back to last week where we talked about running a marathon. That there's this journey that we go on as we engage our faith our spirituality in a way that begins to shape us, that brings endurance, that when trials come, when challenges are faced, we have the ability to endure. And he says this endurance produces character. Character is what ultimately will help us understand who God is and then begin to live this out in a way that's life-giving, that's good. It's, the Christian life is meant to be life-giving. It's meant to be something that transforms us from the inside out and then transforms our community as well. But he says the character produces hope and the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this, this crazy concept of being content in all circumstances is lived out by Paul and he talks about that. that there's there's an endurance that's built. There's a character that's built. There's hope that's woven into this as we live into it. And so Paul understood what it meant to journey with God and surrender fully to God with humility um, and deeply cherish this, what Dallas Willard calls this with God life. That with God, we begin to encounter life in a fresh way, in a way that's life-giving and good. 
And so I want to, I guess, give us a, a, a pitfall or a warning as we look at this passage here in James. Um, that we don't, that we don't, uh, I think, abandon blessing for selfish reasons. So what do I mean by that? Ego, pride, uh, selfishness, materialism, all those things can rob us of this true blessing. Um, our culture has shaped us in ways that, that isn't good, that tells us that we need certain things in order to find contentment. The culture will convince us that we won't be happy until blank. So take a moment, think about that. In what ways have you been shaped, have you and I been shaped to think that we won't be happy till blank? I won't be happy until I have a new car, I won't be happy until I have a house, until I have a certain job that I'm, I'm searching for, uh, the contentment won't take place until, uh, even dare I say, the right church comes along, that I'm in the right community of believers, right? Maybe you've been there. Um, that's either you're saying ouch or you're saying amen. I know that can be challenging, but our culture has shaped even our church mentality of how we view the church that we need to be in, the kind of people that we need to be around, right? Um, and, and my prayer, my hope, is that we adopt the heart that Christ calls us to, and that we see modeled in Paul, where he's just like, I'm focused, my contentment is not based on circumstances, it's based on Christ alone, that he's what I center my life on. And that's my prayer, and that's what I hope that you experience as you're listening to this and wrestling with maybe challenges that you face, that whether it's you have a lot of finances right now and that's a challenge, or you have hardly any finances or you're somewhere in between, what he says is those who love God will begin to experience this. And he says in the end, he says, we'll experience the crown of life, that the success will come, this, the contentment will come as we begin to surrender life with humility to him. So don't fall into that pitfall that, te- that says the culture, um, the, 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 the culture feeds us continually that we won't be happy until blank. We've got to just reframe our thinking in that. And so encounter the kingdom of God. Um, encountering it should transform our perspective on material wealth. That's what James is getting at, that it should transform how we view it. Um, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, which James references here, uh, in Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so James is echoing that same sentiment that as our perspective of God begins to shape us, it transforms our idea of wealth or lack of wealth or poverty And it begins to transform us into relationship beings and recognizing that satisfaction, contentment, all of these things come from surrender to God and and focusing on his kingdom. So Jesus goes on to describe in the Sermon on the Mount um, that we can basically have our lives uh, built on two different foundations. And he talks about it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Um, 
that life and its trials will reveal where we've built our house, so to speak, where we've put our trust, where we've put our faith, where we've like ground our lives. And so one of the things that, that he points out is that he says, therefore, if anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. So anybody who hears Jesus' teaching on money, on all these different things, and begins to center life around him and contentment solely found in him, says it's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. And I pray that our foundation would be found in Christ, the rock. And so we're going to close with communion. Communion is this reminder that all are welcome at the table. Communion is this this ritual, this practice, this beautiful illustration that we see that Jesus invites us into, the symbol of this relationship with him. His body broken, his blood poured out. And the bread is meant to be a remembrance of his body as he sat with his disciples in the upper room. He called them to do this. He says, my body's going to be broken. My blood's going to be poured out for forgiveness of sins, to reconcile and bring relationship and wholeness um, to all who desire this way of living, this new life. And so he invites us to do that. And so I would invite you to either, if you can't join us on the lawn on Sunday at 1130, then uh, grab some bread, grab some crackers, um, something that resembles it somewhat closely, some juice, and take those. Uh, and, And as you sit and reflect on this invitation that all are welcome to this table, Um, may it refresh your soul. May it remind us that as we're looking at James where he calls all believers in whatever trial you are, whether you have lots of money or very little, if the trials are financial, that we 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 don't base our identity on our material wealth. Our identity comes from relationship with Christ. And we center life around that. And this weekend we celebrate Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And, um, and that's a reminder for us that all are welcome at the table regardless of skin color, regardless of financial background, that our identities are wrapped up in Jesus. And we're called to live that out. That we not only get to participate, we're not invited just us to be invited into this table, but we are called to bring others to the table. And so um, if there's somebody that you maybe can think of right now that needs to be invited to this table, I would encourage you, invite them, bring them to this relationship, bring them to Jesus as we take communion and be mindful of that, that we are called to be this body of Christ. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Again, going back to like, we don't rely on financial uh, gains in order to find our identity. Our identity, our provision comes from Christ. We find our life in Christ. That's why we take communion. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Blessing, again, tied to relationship with Christ. And is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? So grace and peace to you as you take the bread, as you take the juice, and we're reminded of his grace poured out for us 
And not just us, but all our brothers and sisters around us um, are invited to the table. So may we be that kind of inclusive community as we live this out. Grace and peace to you. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.